Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to The Treatment Room with Tess and Lauren, the podcast by estheticians for estheticians and those who seek to learn about their own skin from a professional's perspective. We're diving into our whys as licensed skincare therapists, sharing in our career journeys and separating the gimmicks from the real heroes in skincare. Welcome to The Treatment Room. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the treatment room with Tess and Lauren. We are so excited today. We have a very special guest. Her name is Michelle Fallon, and she has been an educator and a mentor to me since my time in SD school. So Michelle has been a licensed practicing esthetician for over 30 years now, and she has taught aesthetics at every level, including state board, Clinical, Medical, and Sedesco. She's been published in publications such as Skin Inc. and Dermascope. And Michelle owned a clinically integrative spot in San Francisco for over 20 years and still maintains a private practice. And I've gotten some great facials from her. So welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me this morning. Good to be here. <laughs> yeah, so we're super excited to to have you on and to chat with you a little bit. I think, I mean, I love being able to talk to anybody who's been in the industry for so long because I'm sure it's changed so much over um, the past 30 years. So I would love to know a little bit about your background and your path, kind of how you got started in, in aesthetics to, I guess, where you are now. Yeah, well, I started back in um, the late 80s. <laughs> I hate to admit it really just dates me, but it, yeah, it was a completely different time back then as far as, as aesthetics, you know, back in, in those days. Um, we did just a lot of uh, basic facial treatments, you know, very simple uh, facials, mini facials, body waxing, which a lot of that is still um, our bread and butter today. But um, it's come so far in the last three decades um, with the addition of all of the different corrective treatments that we can do now and the different modalities and, you know, high-tech ingredients and all of those good things. So, yeah, it's really been, um, you know, it's, there's been a lot of changes and this industry is just moving at lightning speed. Um, when I started, you know, I started in um, really the... Um, the back of a, a nail salon. I rented a space in the back of a nail salon and I built up most of my clientele there. And then I went on to open up my own spa. I actually took over the spa. The, the owners of that nail salon wanted to sell to me. So I um, purchased it and converted it into a uh, skincare clinic, skincare spa. And uh, myself, as well as a lot of um, other estheticians, massage therapists, makeup artists, uh, nail techs, uh, worked there with me 
for quite some time. Um, at the same time, I did a lot of teaching, a lot of aesthetics teaching. I started teaching just basic state board in the early 90s. Um, I also taught advanced aesthetics in the um, early 90s as well. I developed a program uh, for one of the schools that I was teaching at because back in, in those days, they had the uh, state board program, but not a lot of advanced aesthetics. So I started working on programs like that and then, um, you know, have taken lots of additional classes, uh, studied Sedesco. Um, I am a Sedesco diplomat uh, as well, so I still teach a lot of the prep for Sedesco. Um, I also do some of the, uh, you know, some of the uh, classes, um, not so much anymore, but I do still do some of the prep for the NCEA, which is the National Coalition of Estheticians. And then I teach all of the program at um, Concepts Institute as far as the clinical aesthetics phase of things. And then in conjunction with Dr. Green, he's a board certified facial plastic surgeon, together we we teach the, um, the paramedical aesthetics program, which has been um, going really well. It's been really helpful, according to estheticians, um, to prepare them to work in a um, a doctor's office, a dermatologist's office, or a plastic surgeon's office within their own scope of practice. That's incredible. And Michelle, I think what's so amazing about your classes is you have such a scientific approach to skincare, but you're so passionate about it at the same time. So I remember just being so excited sitting in your class and um, it was just a way of hearing about aesthetics that I'd never, I hadn't quite had that experience in school where somebody had that really strong passion for it and deep understanding. So we're so excited to talk to you about the skin and, and what you know. I know you're an expert on acne, ingredients, lymphatic drainage. How did you kind of gain that knowledge base? Um, I have, um, so I've taken many, many classes throughout the years um, in different places around the United States. And um, a lot of my knowledge, though, comes from my own research, myself and my fellow um, partner, Sedesco teacher partner, <laughs> Maria Lorenzi. We're just really big into the science of things, the science of aesthetics. And it wasn't something that back in the 80s was really available to us. So as we took classes in physiology, anatomy, um, you know, at city and at state, I have a background in business, actually. So hmm. that was where I began. Um, but actually, I had my esthetician license even before I had my undergrad degree in business. Um, I've had my esthetician license since I was about 20. And I didn't uh, gain my degree until after that. So the two of those things together are really helpful too. But yeah, a lot of what I do is I do additional research. I'm really, really big into research. I love research on anything science. Um, and I probably have, I would guess, at least 15,000 hours or maybe even more hours um, dedicated to research over the last 30 years. 
Um, I also have the great opportunity to work with the doctors, a couple of the doctors, actually many of the doctors, and have learned a lot from them throughout the years as well. So that, you know, that has given me a really good um, sort of base for that. And I continue to, you know, continuously build on that. I never stop learning, you know, even after all of this time, even after all of this teaching, I continue to learn. I will, you know, I will read. I like to read medical journals. I like to have deep conversations with the plastic surgeons I work with um, and the dermatologists. So I just feel like we're just, you know, we're students of aesthetics, um, all of us estheticians, and we should continue to learn. Uh, for a while there, I wasn't teaching. Um, I guess that was probably in the, the early like 2000, late 90s, or early 2000s. And I was mostly focusing on building my own business, my own spa, and that took a lot of time and it required a lot of work. So I took a little break there for a while, but I didn't stop learning. I didn't stop reading and educating myself. And then I went back into teaching because I realized that um, a lot of people wanted to have um, you know, extra knowledge that they weren't always able to gain um, from the, the industry. Right. It really, especially in school, it, it is a baseline and we are always encouraging our listeners to seek out that extra education because there's so, only so much you can learn in school. And I feel like it really is focused so much on the sanitation aspect and, and passing state board, but the skin is really complex. So taking those extra classes, I feel is a big benefit. Yeah. And I think too, when you have that extra knowledge, you know, when you have that extra education, it really gives you a lot of um, power. It empowers you. Um, right. to, you feel more comfortable, you feel more confident, you're able to do a better job for um, your clients, for yourself. And um, I think that really is important. Otherwise, we're just kind of like shooting in the dark. You know, you, you get a new machine or you get a new product and you kind of read about just basically what it does. But maybe if you don't have a really good understanding of the anatomy of the skin and how this particular machine, let's just say, um, you know, LED or um, ultrasound or ultrasonic rather, how it works on the skin physiologically, you really aren't going to be able to achieve the results that you want and that you need and that the client, you know, expects. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about lymphatic drainage since you've written a chapter um, in a book about lymphatic drainage. What okay is it? And what do you think are some of the benefits and who is a candidate for it? So lymphatic drainage is a very interesting type of massage, but it's not the type of massage that you would think of. You know, it's not a deep massage. You wouldn't want to apply really any deep pressure to the skin. As a matter of fact, if you apply pressure to the skin, it actually has, um, I wouldn't say a negative effect, but you would really have no effect as far as lymphatic drainage is concerned at all. So in our skin and you throughout the tissues of our body, we have um, the lymphatic vessels. And lymphatic vessels um, run the same direction as the veins. 
And the veins, if you look at a medical chart, you will notice that they're the, the blue ones. <laughs> the red ones are the arteries and the blue ones are the veins. And the arteries take um, fresh oxygenated nutrient blood out to the body and the veins bring back the deoxygenated blood to the heart to be reoxygenated again. And so that's, that's the circulatory system. That's a little bit different. But it works in conjunction with the lymphatic system. So the lymphatic system is made up of lots and lots of lymph vessels. And the lymph vessels pick up this extra fluid in your tissue. And it brings that fluid back to the heart so it could rejoin the circulatory system. The lymph fluid is actually made up of water and white blood cells mostly, which is which is a plasma. And um, comes originally from the circulatory system. So the little lymph vessels pick up this fluid, um, they bring it into themselves, and uh, when the lymph enters the lymph capillary, it is then met by a whole team of white blood cells. And the white blood cells help to destroy toxins. You know, the white blood cells are part of the immune system, they're very detoxifying. And then that fluid is picked up and it travels back. It travels back to the heart, whether it comes from your foot or whether it comes from your face or wherever. That fluid travels back to the heart and along that, that way, it's being purified by white blood cells. So that when it finally goes through the terminus, which are these two little areas, right above the clavicle, if you go to your earlobes, and you draw a line from your earlobes to right, right at the top of the clavicle, um, that's called the terminus, and that's where all the lymph from the entire body drains through to meet the blood, to meet the circulatory system. And so once the lymph goes back to the blood, it's part of the, um, the circulatory system. It's actually the plasma in the circulatory system. But basically you can think of the lymphatic system is the detoxification system for the tissues in the body. So like for instance, if you had someone with really puffy eyes, you know, a lot of edema around the eye area, or maybe they've had a lot of salt to eat the night before. Is that like me in quarantine? Exactly. Too much partying, you know, too much alcohol. That can cause a lot of edema, meaning it can cause a lot of swelling in certain areas of the body. So when we do lymphatic drainage, we're just stimulating those lymph vessels. We're stimulating those little lymph capillaries to pick up that extra fluid and take it away from that area and bring it back to the circulatory system. Um, and that's where it started in the circulatory system. But as it goes back, you know, as that fluid travels back, let's say it's being picked up from your foot or from your hand, as that fluid travels back through the lymph vessels, it's really being purified. Um, you know, pathogens are being destroyed by the white blood cells in the lymph vessels because you don't want lymph to go back to the heart, right? You don't want it to go back to the circulatory system, not being cleaned up. You know, you, you would potentially be septic if that was the case. So you can basically say that lymph is a very interesting kind of a clinical medical type massage that is not your traditional, you know, deep tissue massage. It's not a pressure point massage. It's a very special, very light 
kind of a stretch and release, like stretch and release, release type massage that really helps that lymph flow back in the direction that it should be flowing in, which is in the direction of the heart. It's so, I feel like it's a little bit counterintuitive. When I first learned about lymphatic drainage, we think the more pressure, you know, the more effective something is, but it's really interesting that it's the lighter you, you're working, the more effective lymphatic drainage is. Is that right? Exactly. Because I sometimes see people doing massage and they're applying a lot of pressure to the face. And, and I ask them, you know, well, what, what is it that you're doing? What type of massage are you doing there? What is your action? What is your, your goal? And they'll say, I'm doing lymphatic drainage. And it always surprises me because when you apply that type of pressure, you actually close down the lymph capillaries. You know, you close them down, so nothing's really happening as far as um, as far as lymphatic drainage is concerned. <laughs> you might be doing another type of massage, but definitely it's not lymphatic drainage. When you mm. perform lymphatic drainage, you always want to start with a light pumping action right above the clavicle, you know, right in that area that I previously talked about, to open up the channels, to kind of open up the terminus, to kind of open the floodgates. <laughs> so so that- you're starting sort of... At the base of the neck. Exactly. You're starting at the base of the neck right above the collarbone. Exactly. Okay. And and you have this very special kind of a a stretch and release, um, kind of a pumping action in that area. And you do that five times. And that sort of gets the ball rolling. It, It opens the floodgate, so to speak. And then the lymph, um, you know, starts to flow in that direction. And then what you do is, you know, you start from the area closest to that area, the terminus area first, and then let's say you're doing the face, Um, you would go up the neck. So then you would go a little up the neck and you would do sort of that same action. You would go a little further up the neck and you would do that same action. And you you want to be moving in the direction of the lymph vessels so that the Mm. fluid is moving in the correct direction. So if you are working on the face, even though you're starting close to the neck, you know, you're starting close to your, your, um, the terminus, you're working away from it. So you would go up the neck while you're still sort of moving the fluid down, if that makes sense. (laughs) Then you would go to the jawline area and you would still be moving the fluid down. And then you would go to the mouth area, moving the fluid down, going to the note, you know, up and Mm -hmm. up, um, Mm -hmm. still moving the fluid down. And in between all of that, there's a very special way to do it. There's a very, um, it's got to be organized, (laughs) you know, so you do it correctly. And there's no backup. There's no swelling along the way. But if it's done correctly and the job is done, you know, very well, It's amazing. Like within a couple of minutes, you will see the facial area uh, that all of that swelling just starts to go down right before your eyes. I mean, I know when I do it for myself, um, Mm -hmm. within five or 10 minutes, I look like I've lost 10 pounds in my face because we hold Mm -hmm. so much fluid in our faces. It's unbelievable how quickly that fluid starts to, um, you know, starts to move. And that swelling goes down. That's amazing. How how long would you say it typically takes estheticians to kind of get a grip on lymphatic drainage since you're saying if you don't do it properly, 
it can have the reverse effect. Yeah. So um, as far as learning it, um, when, when I teach it, I do teach it in a day. There is, um, you know, there's a video that goes with that, that um, the students keep so they can go back and look at it and practice while they're looking at it. And, and eventually you do get to be pretty good if you practice. <laughs> That's the whole thing, practice. I would say if you were to learn lymphatic drainage and then practice on your friends and family, maybe twice a day for about five days, after that, you'll probably be ready to go out and practice on the, on the public. So it okay. takes some time to learn that yeah. technique. Yeah. Well, I'm ready to watch the video and practice on my boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's important. Practicing makes makes close to perfect. Nothing's perfect, but close to perfect. So that's yeah. really important. Yeah. So when you're so when you're doing lymphatic drainage, and there's a lot of tools out there um, right now that people are using for lymphatic drainage massage. Do you have a preference, like whether it be just hands or a gua sha or a jade roller? Do you have a preference, or do you think you know one works better than the other? That's a really good question. Um, I feel that, and I found that hands, your fingers, so that you can feel your way, and that mm -hmm. you really need to do the the whole thing with lymphatic drainage and the technique is kind of a stretch and release. So if you were to put your fingers on your skin right now and just stretch your, your skin without feeling the bone beneath your fingertips and then release, right? So you're actually moving lymph that way. And that's the most effective way hmm. to, to move it as long as you're moving it in the correct direction. <laughs> so in the <laughs> class, I show you the correct direction. Um, and so that's the most effective way. I know there was a doctor, a Dr. Vodder back in the 30s, I believe, that invented this type of massage. And a lot of people today practice variations of that massage. Um, and that seems to be the, the most effective way. Now, like you were mentioning, um, the other modalities that you can use. Now, if you were going to use, let's say, a roller or something like that, or even ultrasonic, um, you would think about dividing the face in half, like the left side and the right side. And then starting with that roller in the center of the face, you would, you would roll laterally. So that would mean, of course, you would move outwards. And if you're moving outwards, you are moving the lymph in the correct direction. Um, and so you are getting some sort of lymphatic drainage, but it's not really the true lymphatic drainage um, that it, you're not going to get the, the best effect. True lymphatic drainage really should be done with the fingertips. I know there are lots of machines that can, um, that can be used, but it, and I've used a lot of them. Uh, but I find that fingertips are definitely, you get the best, you bet the best result. Interesting. Yeah. I think, um, I, I mean, I love lymphatic drainage and I know that the benefits are are endless and mainly that there's, you know, the movement of fluid and toxins out of the skin. Um, do you find that lymphatic drainage has much of an effect on other skin conditions such as like acne, for instance? Uh, yes. Yeah. So actually I do lymphatic drainage for my own clients and also uh, our patients 
for for acne. Now, as long as the acne is not active, so you don't have a lot of open pustules and of course no bleeding or anything like that because lymphatic drainage is something that you want to do with a bare hand. So you definitely don't want to have bleeding on the face. But if you have a lot of underground acne like sebaceous cysts and you do the lymphatic drainage, what it does is it actually it will pick up a lot of the fluid and push the fluid um, into the lymphatic system. And of course, it's it's met there by you know macrophages and all of the white blood cells to help destroy the pathogen. So it brings down the fluid. It helps to fight a lot of the bacteria. So definitely, I think for acne, if it's done correctly, you can have a really good result. Again, not on active acne though. You know, if someone has mm-hmm. pustules and things like that that are ripe and that could potentially rupture, you don't mm-hmm. want to perform lymphatic drainage unless that is cleared up first. Right. So would you say that your clients um, who have acne, could they be doing a lymphatic drainage on themselves at home, like say on a daily basis? Would that be beneficial or would you see that as risky? Um, they, if, if taught, the clients have taught really well, just like with anybody, if we're taught very thoroughly, they, they could do lymphatic drainage for themselves. Um, and that would help acne if they were trained correctly. We typically mm-hmm. want to save that for the professionals. <laughs> so we have, mm-hmm. you know, something that, that we can do for the client and we can also educate them on so many other areas. Um, but yeah, if anybody is trained properly, they would be able to do it. You can do it for yourself at home too. Sometimes I do it for myself at home. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, gosh, if I had that much training in it, I'd be sleek and depressed all the time. <laughs> the thing is though you probably don't want to do it more than about two or three times a week um it just that there's there are contraindications to it overuse of lymphatic drainage i mean overuse would have to be you know several times a day the the best mm-hmm. practice protocol is usually a couple of times a week but there are contraindications. Maybe, you know, we can go over some of those. Yeah. 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 What would be considered a contraindication? Like, for instance, if someone has um, severe hyperthyroidism, where the thyroid mm-hmm. is too mm-hmm. active, and you're, you're also going over the neck, and that's where the thyroid is. So that can stimulate thyroxine. That, that can stimulate the thyroid. So, mm-hmm. excuse me, yeah, that, would be a, that would be a contraindication. I know I have hyperthyroidism, and if I can do lymphatic drainage around my eye area, but if I go over my whole face area, that definitely starts to stimulate my heartbeat, which is one of the the signs of uh, hyperthyroidism. If your client had um, has cancer, that would be, you know, a, a contraindication. Um, if your client has any um, if a cold or the flu right now, that would be a contraindication. If they have kidney disease, because a lot of the fluids later on, once they drain, they have to go through the kidneys and the bladder. So if they have kidney disease, that would be a contraindication. Um, trying to think off the top of my head of some mm-hmm. of the other contraindications. Uh, blood clots would be a contraindication because you wouldn't want to move a blood clot, potentially move it to another place in the body. So those mm-hmm. are those are a handful of, of the contraindications, some of the, the big ones. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show how powerful it is and stimulating it is for the body that it can have those effects, effects and it can be too much of a good thing. 
Oh yeah, I I had one of uh, a student of mine. She was uh, she is a nurse, and she was a little bit skeptical of lymphatic drainage, and just you know has heard about it and wanted to know how it worked. And she was breastfeeding at the at the time she had just had a, a baby, and we did lymphatic drainage for her, which is fine after pregnancy. By the way, pregnancy mm. is a contraindication. <laughs> but after pregnancy, we did some lymphatic drainage for her, and it was so stimulating. It actually stimulated the mammary glands and she was soaked her shirt was just and she's looking down thinking wow this really it really did work um and for people like after a facelift of course you have to be properly trained but after a facelift if sometimes doctors will have the estheticians that are correctly trained do lymphatic drainage to help bring down swelling bring down bruising um, you know, help the healing and the detoxification faster. Interesting. So do you find that would lymphatic drainage um, have an effect? And maybe this is kind of an obscure question, but would it have an effect on somebody who gets Botox or fillers or has recently had any injectables? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, yes. Yeah, so if someone has had Botox, you know, a neuromodulator, you want to wait about seven days because you just don't want to move it. You know, if someone had the Botox in the, between the eyebrows, <laughs> in the glabella yeah. area, and you move that, that wouldn't be such a good thing. They wouldn't get the results that they, that they want and potentially results they don't want. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same with filler. It takes, it's about seven days, um, when I've talked to the doctors about that, they'll say, you know, you want to wait about seven days before you perform um, most treatments, most cosmetic treatments. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's- so then after that that waiting period of, of a week or so, you would say that it's fine. It wouldn't necessarily have a negative effect? Yeah, it wouldn't have an, it shouldn't have a negative effect. Most of the fillers are pretty you know, pretty set at that particular point in time. Um, And the same thing with the neuromodulators. If you're not sure, though, it's always best to check with the doctor or the patient's doctor or, you know, have them check with their doctor first. Um, I have had some, uh, you know, little Botox in my glabella area between my eyebrows and a little bit just under the eye area and the uh, right uh, near the tear trough, not in the tear trough, but near it as, of course, we get older. Um, oh. you know, those things help. And I mm-hmm. usually will wait about seven days prior to, to doing the lymphatic drainage for myself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Well, that's awesome. So I want to segue just briefly into, um, into acne. Um, since I know that this is something that our listeners are, are really interested in, um, whether they have it themselves or are really interested in treating it. I think that acne is, is a big topic these days. So do you have any, like any major tips that you think all estheticians can, um, can use in the treatment room or kind of like a starting point for anybody who's looking to treat acne either on themselves or on their clients? So yes, like I was saying, acne is very predictable or unpredictable. I should say acne is very unpredictable, (laughs) not predictable. Um, And in modern medicine, they feel that that acne is a um, direct result of an abundance of androgen hormone, which is the the male hormone that both, of course, um, females and males produce. 
And um, when it's produced, it um, has the ability to bond with oil glands, creating more oil in the skin. Now, um, acne, even though it has many different triggers, um, and they believe that, um, you know, modern medicine believes that most acne is a result of an abundance of androgen, it is a, dis a direct um, effect of clogged follicles, or we can say a disorder of the follicle. So I often will tell my patients and clients that every pustule, which is a pimple, and every sebaceous cyst, which is just a deeper pimple, starts with a clogged follicle. So it starts with a blackhead, or it starts with a melia, which is a whitehead, or other skin congestion. And when that skin congestion becomes um, infected or inflamed, it can often, you know, s subsequently become a, a pustule or a sebaceous cyst. So I'll tell my clients that, for, first of all, and, and that's why it's so important to keep the follicles nice and clean and clear and free from congestion. Because if you think about the type of bacteria that causes pustules and sebaceous cysts, most of us know it's propionibacterium, which is often called P. acnes. And P. acnes lives on the skin in general and also lives inside the follicle. And it's an anaerobic type of bacteria, meaning that when it's exposed to oxygen, it's kept in check. You know, it's, it, it, yeah. it doesn't cause much damage or much harm. But if it is not uh, controlled by oxygen or exposed to oxygen, so to speak, then it can cause inflammation, inflammation in the follicle. And then that could lead to breakout. So if you've got a clog in the mouth of the follicle, like with a blackhead or a whitehead, and you have this bacteria inside the follicle, you know, with the, the oil and the sweat that's being produced, and there's no way that oxygen can get in that follicle. There's also no way that oil and sweat can come out properly, like it should, with the clogging of the mouth of the follicle. And then that's what can wreak havoc. That's, that can and often is the beginning of the issue of breakouts. Okay, Michelle, I have a question because this has become such a trend and that is, I don't know if you've recognized this too, but the overuse or just the constant use of oil in skincare routines, whether it is like an oil cleanser or a straight up oil that people are applying to their skin or a serum that contains oil or a moisturizer with oil in it. What are your feelings on people who are acneic and of an oily skin type using oil in their daily routines? Um, I think oil and products like natural oils, like, you know, wheat germ oil or coconut oil or argan oil or any of those oils are great for most skin types, especially if the skin type is lacking oil. You know, if it needs lubrication, definitely oil is, is important. Um, I found with my clients that um, if you apply a lot of oil to the skin, and they already have a lot of oil, and there's no real way for the oil to, um, you know, the oil absorbs into the skin. Now, if you were to break it with like an astringent or a toner afterwards and, and be able to pick up most of that oil, let's say you have a oil and a cleanser, and you're emulsing, emulsifying your skin, and then you use a toner afterwards to break that oil, I can see how that can be okay 
But mm -hmm. I found that with a lot of my clients, if they're using a moisturizer or a serum with oil, heavy oils, and they leave mm -hmm. it on the skin, that adds to the oil in their skin. And when you have a lot of oil in your skin and it oxidizes from oxygen in the air, it becomes a comedone. It becomes, right, dark comedone mm -hmm. and hardens. It's almost like, um, like a banana or an avocado. The oil in that, which is the fat in the avocado or banana, when it's exposed to oxygen, it turns brown. Kind of the same way <laughs> as a blackhead, you know, it is exposed mm -hmm. to, to, to oxygen, it turns brown and it hardens. And then you've got a plug in the mouth of the follicle which can, you know, um, cause additional issues afterwards. So I think as long as that oil is being broken down with an astringent or toner afterwards, that it, it's not often a, a big issue. I know even with myself, if someone gives me a massage, I used to mm. have acne as a kid. I don't mm. have acne any longer <laughs> after menopause. But if someone gives me a massage, my face or my back, and they don't break the oil afterwards, you know, grapeseed oil, almond oil, avocado oil, whatnot, I break out. I still yeah. break out after all of this time. So yeah, yeah, that's been my experience. Okay. That's really, I think, an important thing to understand because I think the whole double cleansing philosophy has become so popular. It's like almost like just the protocol for everyone these days. And people are using an oil cleanser to take off makeup and then following up with their normal cleanser. People may or may not be using a toner. Um, but I think it's, it's just really interesting when you think about the follicle and that amount of congestion is what causes acne. So if you're not breaking it up, it could potentially exacerbate the problem. Exactly. So if, you, if you're using a cleanser, an oil-based cleanser, and removing it with water, of course, water is not going to remove the oil because water and oil, they, they, they don't bond, they separate, and it's left on the skin. That could potentially cause more breakouts. Or if you're using, you know, you have acne and you're using a, um, an oily-based product, that can also add to congestion and that can exacerbate the acneic problem. But if you are using oil on your skin, an oil-based cleanser, and then afterwards you use some type of toner or an astringent that can remove most of that oil. So you've, you know, you've used a cleanser, you've cleaned the skin, you've emulsified the skin, uh, cleansed the additional oil off, and then come in with a toner or an astringent, uh, pH balanced um, toner or astringent. I, I think that should be fine. Is there a certain ingredient in the toner that kind of helps to break up that, that oil? Um, I look for witch hazel, you know, okay. which is called Hamelmias virginiana. Um, it's a hydrosol. Often people are afraid of witch hazel because of the alcohol, but most of the time the alcohol in the witch hazel is just a byproduct of distillation and not actually placed in there. Um, I guess some manufacturers do place alcohol in uh, witch hazel, but I like to use witch hazel that is that alcohol-free as far as no right. additional. Um, I like that. Other things uh, that you can look for would be um, aloe vera. You know, aloe vera is also a, a good ingredient. Calendula is a, is a great ingredient. Um, and those are things that you can look for in a toner. Alcohol, um, I don't usually look for unless it's at the very, very, very bottom of the list and someone's extremely oily. I personally don't use that or have my clients purchase that, those types of toners, but I know some people do. 
I love that we're talking about ingredients. When it comes to a strong routine for your acneic clients and their home care, would there be a couple products you would say you recommend? Yeah, so when you think about acne, you want to kind of keep in mind and always keep in mind, and it's interesting we're talking about this. I just had the acne class yesterday, the online mm-hmm. acne class. Um, and it's interesting because what I normally say to you tell the, uh, the estheticians and also the, the clients is you want to think of five things. One thing, you want to, uh, you want to use products that are somewhat exfoliating, like maybe a cleanser with a glycolic acid in it or a cleanser with an enzyme in it. Um, or those ingredients found somewhere in your product line because those ingredients will help to exfoliate the skin. They will help to go into the follicle, exfoliate the follicle, open the mouth of the follicle, keep the follicle nice and and, um, as far as the mouth of the follicle, open so that oxygen can go in and sweat and oil can come out naturally. And so the skin doesn't become congested or you minimize congestion. And then number two, you want to think about ingredients that are germicidal in nature, you know, because we've got that bacteria on the skin. And not harsh uh, products like alcohol, but other ingredients mm-hmm. like salicylic acid. Or maybe mm-hmm. you've got a really gentle mask that's a sulfur mask. Or maybe you have a toner that has tea tree, tea tree essential oil very antimicrobial and usually most people are not allergic to it and don't have issues with it and then third of all I always say you want to look for ingredients that are oil control not everybody with acne has oil but most people do so you want to look for ingredients that are oil controlling and that again could be salicylic acid um, that could be um, maybe you know a light kaolin or clay mask that they can use once in a while Um, Mm. that could be um, again sulfur uh, tea tree And then number four, you want to look for ingredients that are anti-inflammatory. People who have acne often have a lot of inflammation, and that means that there's a lot of, you know, there's a a great deal of um, white blood cells. The immune system is is in that area, and that can create inflammation. So you want to use ingredients that are um, anti-red, anti-inflammatory. Ingredients to look for would be beta-glucan, believe it or not, hyaluronic acid, uh, cucumber, calendula, and then lastly, you want to look for ingredients that are hydrating. And that doesn't mean oil. You don't, want to, you don't need to place oil on the skin. Um, that lubricates the skin. But you want to hydrate the skin. And, of course, the best hydrator is um, you know, consuming more water. But as far mm-hmm. as ingredients, you could look for ingredients like hyaluronic acid, aloe vera, calendula, Um, That helps to bind water on the surface of the skin, which also helps to calm the skin, keeps the skin, um, you know, uh, very nice and calm and and topically hydrated. I love that you brought up that, that distinction between water and hydration versus oil, because I think there's a big misconception that hydration comes from, you know, those very rich creams. And a lot of people think if they have oil in the skin, that adding more oil has some benefit. I feel like I don't know where that kind of idea has come from, but it's something I think a lot of people struggle with their routine because they're not, they're not sure. So I think it's good to know to look for that water and those water-based ingredients like the hyaluronics. 
Exactly, and, and to figure out whether somebody is lacking oil or lacking water, you know, you can look at the skin, you push up on the cheek area, and if you see those little fine horizontal lines that are not there when you let go, right, mm -hmm. and you see that the skin might be a little powdery in, in texture, um, and, and the individual tells you that they're often thirsty, <laughs> they, they mm -hmm. may be water dry, meaning they may need hydration. So, of course, the first line of defense is drinking more water, and then you want to look for ingredients like hyaluronic acid and aloe vera and calendula to help topically hydrate. And then people who are missing oil, say they're lacking oil, they, we call it oil dry, lacking oil, you would look at the skin and you would know that because you would see that there's almost invisible pores. The pores are almost non-existent or they appear to be non-existent. And the skin might be tight, it might be dry and a little flaky, but it, the pore size, or follicle size rather, is non-existent. And then you start applying moisturizers, or maybe you're doing a massage and you find like, wow, what happened to the massage oil? It's gone, <laughs> I need more massage oil. And you, would really, you would realize that that person, that client is lacking oil. So in that case, you would look for um, moisturizers that contain natural oils, you know, maybe coconut oil or, um, um, Argan oil, grapeseed oil, other types of body butter. Not so much for acne, though. This is this is different. I, I wouldn't so much say for acne, but I mean other skin types, like oil dry skin types. People who need oil. <laughs> okay, I have a question about the coconut oil because that's another thing. I think it's kind of been a trend. Then people are anti-coconut oil. Do you feel like coconut oil? provides a lot of nourishment to dry skin types? Um, I feel if someone is oil dry, meaning if they're lacking oil and all of the characteristics that I just um, went through, they have that skin type. Um, yeah, I think coconut oil is fine used in small amounts, uh, used in large amounts, can be congestive. Here's a, here's a, an ex example. I had one of my clients who was, is dry as the desert earth. I mean, she had <laughs> no oil in her skin whatsoever at all. So she decided to use as a moisturizer straight coconut oil, just coconut mm. oil, nothing else but coconut oil. And I had told her, you know, if you're, if you use coconut oil, I could understand using it in a, in a moisturizer, of course, but just a bottle mm. of coconut oil every day, you're going to become very oily and you will potentially become very congested. Well, she did it anyway because she thought it was a good experiment. <laughs> sure enough, she was very oily, very congested, developed mealy, and of course developed a lot of comedones, and I spent the mm. next six months <laughs> removing them. <laughs> so if you, as far as someone who is oil dry, meaning they need oil, um, looking for moisturizers that contain coconut oil in that moisturizer is is fine um, and should be somewhere like near the middle or a little closer to the bottom of the ingredient label. Yeah, and I think people really, if they don't have a knowledge of skin, they just think, why not just go in my kitchen pantry and, you know, put food grade product on the face, but I think what you're saying really speaks to that need for delivery systems and products that are formulated properly. Right, and, and having said that too, there are, like for instance, I, when I do massage, facial massage, I do actually use a grapeseed oil that's food grade. <laughs> and um, of course I break it when I'm done with the massage. I make sure that I remove it because it I don't want there to be 
be on the skin left a lot of oil. Mm. So some of the food grade products, and also when I blend essential oils or aromatherapy, um, often I will add in, if I'm blending a massage oil for someone, I'll add in a combination of maybe coconut oil as a base and maybe add in some, you know, argan oil as a base and then maybe some vitamin E if their skin dictates vitamin E. Of course, here we're not talking about acne, <laughs> um, mm. but and then add in some essential oils, you know, maybe some lavender, maybe some rosewood, maybe some um, rose. So, and, and that's okay, you know, that's okay. But I think you need to just need to be really careful um, with skin with skin type and skin condition. Yes. And you want to make sure that you're looking at, you know, whatever your goal is, that the ingredients that you're going to be using on the skin, that they're going to have the correct action. So yes. that you don't, yeah, the correct action is very important. Figure out what the goal is the skin type or, or skin condition is, and then, you know, which products you're going to use, which ingredients are beneficial, and that and that will be helpful. Michelle, I'm so glad we have you on because you're hitting on so many big topics that I feel like there's so much debate about. You are, is it licensed in aromatherapy? Is that the, the correct terminology? Um, I, yes, so I'm a registered uh, aromatherapist. Okay. Um, which in, in here in the U.S. So I do teach the aromatherapy. I also do a lot of blending for my own clientele, the doctors, patients, and I also help other product lines. So for people who want to have an aromatherapy line and they need someone to blend, I do. I do a lot of that. I do a lot of the chemistry of the blending of the the aromatherapy oils, both for massage oil, facial serums, um, you know, skin toners and astringents, and those kinds of things. That's incredible. I I think aromatherapy and essential oils have kind of gotten a bad rap, especially as people, you know, really are more ingredient conscious. I think fragrance has been put in this category with essential oils that they are just bad for the skin. Can you speak a little bit about the benefits of essential oils? Sure. Yeah, and the thing with aromatherapy, too, is I think people kind of um, just bucket it all together. You know, perfumes, right. um, synthetic aromatherapy, and then there's aromatherapy. True, true aromatherapy is derived from plant extract. So true aromatherapy would be derived right from the plant. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's today there, there are ways of bastardizing that, you know, adding things to it that destroy the properties of the aromatherapy, but yet still have the scent, but don't have the benefit on the skin. Or I've even seen others say that, you know, they've got a perfume in there, like a lavender perfume and call that, um, aromatherapy. <laughs> so mm. true aromatherapy is, is just that it's extraction of the essential oil, which is the lifeblood from the plant itself, whether it be lavender or eucalyptus or peppermint or rose, it's right from the plant ex itself. And then it has to be extracted in a certain way. So it doesn't destroy the components. And when it's extracted, you know, and it's, and it's turned into an oil, they usually often with some plants, not oil, not all, sorry, not all, but you can steam the plant and you can extract the essential oil that way and so the plant oil goes from a steam and then it cools down it goes back into an oil into a liquid state and it could be used that way and back in you know a long time ago hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago 
And before penicillin, the world's oldest medicine was really aromatherapy. It was herbalism. We would use these kinds of things um, to treat, you know, to treat sores um, as a natural medication. And again, they have to be used correctly because if you use the wrong essential oil to treat a condition, well, then you're not going to get the right, you know, the right uh, reaction. It's almost like a doctor. If they diagnose you incorrectly and they give you the wrong medication, you're not going to have a good reaction. So it's important really to know what that essential oil does and are you using it for the right reason? And are, are, is that person okay with it? Does their body accept it? Do they have contraindications? Like for instance, you wouldn't want to use a super stimulating aromatherapy oil on someone who has heart problems or who, who has mm -hmm. epilepsy. So yeah, aromatherapy is really an amazing um, an amazing uh, group of ingredients that have been around forever. And they're added into products today. Um, they're added into um, even certain medications today. And if used correctly, they, they're phenomenal. But if used incorrectly, th that could be a problem. So it's really important to be, you know, to understand essential oils, to read about it, and to be trained before, before using it or using them. That's so, oh, it's so interesting. I love essential oils. I think that, like you said, they're so powerful and they're, it's such a beautiful thing. Um, I've seen a lot of people though, and I'm sure we all have that say, you know, they don't like any essential oils in their skincare. They lump it into the same category as fragrance and they say it's irritating and you know, the list goes on. So if someone were to say that to you, would you say it's um, you know, they're having, you know, using the wrong essential oils or a low quality essential oil. Like, how would you respond to that? Um, it could be that, <clears throat> excuse me, it could be that. It could also be that the person is very, very sensitive. For instance, if you are allergic to ragweed, you know, ragweed often um, is what causes a hay fever in some people, you wouldn't want to use chamomile essential oil because the, the constituents are very similar and that can bring on an allergic reaction. So I do agree mm -hmm. that aromatherapy isn't for everyone, um, but ha however, if used in very, very low doses, you still gain some of the potency um, and you don't overuse the product, it could be for most people. If you were to overuse the product, it could be dangerous, it could be you know, very stimulating, cause irritation. So like medications, you know, it's, it really varies and it really depends on the in individual. Do they have an indication for it? Do they have a contraindication for it? it, it that, that all plays into whether or not you would want to use essential oils. A lot of the aromatherapy that's just placed in skincare products um, probably does not live as long in terms of potency then if you were just to blend your own essential oils and keep them in, you know, an amber bottle, amber glass bottle or a blue cobalt bottle and then um, keep them nice and cool. Essential mm -hmm. oils are so volatile anyhow that they don't really last long and, and live long and hold their full potency if you are not um, really careful with them. So I know a lot of products have essential oils, and then I just wonder how potent are they when they actually make it to the consumer and the consumer utilizes it on their face if they're stored in plastic or if they're stored in clear, you know, clear as opposed to a, a dark bottle. But you're right, you know, aromatherapy definitely isn't for every single solitary person, um, but it's, it is for a lot of us if we use it correctly. 
I feel like we could have you back, oh. Michelle, for a whole episode de- dedicated to aromatherapy and yeah, just anytime. all of the classes you teach. So gosh, just for the sake of your time, I think we will wrap it up here. We so enjoyed having you on. I'm just like hanging well, on every every word. Yeah. And I miss I miss sitting in on your classes, but we'd love to have you back. Michelle, where can our listeners find you if they would like to go to a class or see you at your your private practice? Yeah, so um, through the month of May, all of our clinical aesthetics classes that are live, which are here in our um, Sausalito studio, are actually online. And they're identical to the live classes, um, except the hands-on portion is replaced by a super thorough demo. And you can check those out on if they want to go to conceptsinstitute.com. I think also... um, Tess, you probably have my information, the spelling yes. of my information yes. there, if I spell it out. Yeah, but, we can um, actually put it, Michelle, in the show notes so everybody can just go to your link and they can find you there. That's perfect. Yeah, and if you have any questions, just click when you get to the website, you know, just click uh, for further information, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, for further information, and it will come to me, and then I can answer your question that way. We have all kinds of different classes and pretty much any subject imaginable, and even do classes for people, pri- you know, privately, and um, <clears throat> do classes uh, for groups. I've got a lot of people that say, well, I don't, you know, we don't need to learn microcurrent or aromatherapy or acne, but can we learn whatever it might be, (laughs) and I develop uh, classes for uh, groups of individuals on whatever their topic, you know, their topic of of their choice. Yeah, that's great. So if you're working at a spa, maybe you can let your boss know and you guys can all take the class together. Otherwise, Estee's getting out of school. I think Michelle's ingredients course is a really great place to start, as is her acne class is really enlightening and her chemical peels class her microcurrent, they're all really amazing. So thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on. Thanks for having me. Hopefully I'll be back again. You will, please. Thanks, thanks. Have a great day. We'll see everybody in the next one.